Our Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 55. I'm going to ask you to please turn with me in your Bible. So Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 6 through 13, and then over to Romans 12, uh, 1 through 8. So Isaiah chapter 55, this is the compassion of the Lord, that we don't really deserve anything but God's wrath, and yet he is a compassionate God, and he's willing to... Um, Pour out that compassion on such undeserving people. So verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found, and call upon him while he is near. And let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Amen. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Amen. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Amen and praise God. Now to Romans uh, chapter 12. Romans 12. You're going to notice a big shift from what we've been doing and speaking to, what Paul's been speaking to. as we as we turn towards the the application side of this letter paul says this i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? For by grace, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And thus, the reading of the God's word thus far. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much. And I do pray, Lord God, that you would be with us at this time by your spirit, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, that we would be engaged, truly engaged in your word, Lord God, that we would be seeking transformation by your spirit that we would learn, that we would understand, Lord God, by your grace, that we would grow, that we would 
live our lives for you completely and fully. Please be with me and help me to bring this message with clarity and with conviction, Lord God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Amen. Now, as we come to chapter 12 out of 11, we're out of the deep waters, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Uh, out of the deep, as it were. Uh, what we're going to be doing from here on in, the rest of this letter, is certainly going to be more relatable to you, more familiar to you, but no less significant than what we've been learning up to this point, including chapter 11, as we spent time there uh, going through that. What we have now is just so beautifully instructive uh, for us, as well as challenging to everyone who calls themselves Christians, who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, because we're coming to the application of our salvation. In other words, what's expected of us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? How we're to live, how we're to think, who we're to who we are to be, our attitude towards Jesus Christ, towards ourselves and towards others. That's all coming forth in this part of the, in this part of the epistle. A real challenge uh, to our sanctification, if you will. These are distinguishing characteristics and marks of those who have been set apart by Christ as Christians. So we really, really want to engage in this. We really want to be challenged because we have been changed. And this is the change that's reflected in us and in our lives as we look to Jesus Christ. So it's a big, big deal what he's talking about here. This is a measure of our faith. Because you could say you're a Christian all you want, but if you're not living, if you're willfully disobeying or not living according to God's word, if these aren't characteristics in you, at least in some point, you're not fully sanctified, but in some point, these things have to be important to you if you're a Christ. They just are because this is who we are in Christ. Do you understand? It's a big, big deal for us. Today, we're just going to consider the first couple verses as it speaks to the individual, as it speaks to you personally, what's expected of us uh, from Christ as Christians. Next week, we'll speak more corporately as we consider uh, 3 through 8. But for this morning, we'll look at the first couple of verses. This is what true Christianity is. This is authentic Christianity. This is what it looks like. This is who we are. This is the natural outworking of the objective inward work of the Spirit of God. So be Know this. These, these, these aren't just suggestions that we're going to be talking about. These aren't just wishes. I, I hope you'll do this. You know, you should really consider it. No, 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 no. This is who you are, and this is what the Christian life looks like, and you need to be serious about this. Capiche? It's a big, big deal for us. Right? And we want that. If you're a Christian, you want that. We want to live for Christ. But here's the rub. Here's, here's the, 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 the problem. Uh, we ought to live this way. We want to live this way. But the problem is, threefold especially, we still battle sin. Wouldn't it be nice if once you became a Christian, we would be fully sanctified? And we wouldn't have to worry about sin. We could be pleasing to the Lord all the time. Ah, one day when we're with him. But right now, it's not like that. Right now, we have the problem, number one, of indwelling sin. Sin still remains, even though we're in Christ. We still battle with indwelling sin. It's even more apparent to us, obviously, since we're Christians. Like, before you're a Christian, that's just how you live. Now, as a Christian, you see what you're doing. And you still do it anyway, right? That's why we want to continue to put to death the the deeds of the flesh. Uh, Colossians, Paul speaks of this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, that's earthly impurity, that's earthly passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. 
On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these two, you once walked. That's where you lived. That's who you were when you were living in them. But that's no more. Now we're in Jesus Christ. It ought to be different for us. It is different for us, and that needs to come through. So that's the problem. That's one of the big deals here. As we're going to follow this instruction, we still have to remember we battle with that sin. But you need to be involved in that battle. You need to be engaged in that battle. Don't give in to sin. You are a new creation in Christ, but I know we're still haunted by old sins and new temptations as Christians. We're saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, but in so many ways we're still so selfish and we just think of ourselves so much of the time. We know better. We've been bought by Christ, and yet we just won't let go of that bitterness in our soul and towards something or towards a situation. We just hold on to that. We've been found by him, but we still live so fearfully in so many ways. We're so afraid of our life. We're so afraid of men. We're so afraid of upsetting other people by being honest as as Christians. We're loved by Christ, but we still battle that lust all the time. Those temptations that come upon us. We've been purchased by Christ, but we still live in our pride way too much, don't we, as Christians? That's the battle that we're engaged in. That is indwelling sin. It stands in the way of that deeper, fuller relationship of Jesus Christ. Also, we're saved. It's another area that we struggle with as as, as we begin to think about these things. We're saved, but we live in a fallen world. With all its allurements, with all its temptations, with all the cultural norms, values, we're bombarded every day with ideas, with concepts, with precepts that are antithetical to Scripture, antithetical to what we believe in. But every day we're just bombarded with these things. And so we struggle, you know, with the world. And like, man, I'm a Christian, and that's not what the Bible teaches, but here's what everybody else is doing. And these people say that that's okay. So so we're we're just every day, all day long, Things that just defy our Christian sensibilities. And yet on some level, if you're honest, in some of these things there is an attraction. There is an allurement, you know? On some level, we kind of hold on to these things. Yeah, I do want to obtain wealth. I do want to be really successful. I do want that big house and this and that. Not that that's necessarily wrong, but sometimes that becomes our ultimate drive, to have that kind of worldly success. Gaining prominence, popularity. You know, it's so hard for me to stay off this. I want all those, I want as many followers as I could get. You know, there's something in there (sighs) for us in that way. Gaining power. Distracted by the endless realms of entertainment. See, that's the world. That's all around us. And then, of course, behind all of this is the evil one, Satan himself, the devil. He's the one, has God said, bringing doubt. God doesn't want you to live up to your potential. He wants to keep you down, right? He's crafty, he's sneaky, he's subtle, he's opportunistic like a hungry lion. He fires those darts, those fiery darts, all the time, every day and all the time. He's the enemy of our soul. He promises freedom in rebellion. That's exactly what Satan does. He promises satisfaction through self-indulgence. And he promises gain through rejection of God. So it's the flesh, the world, and the devil. Big categories that we struggle with as Christians. And Paul says this, and he begins with you, and he says, look, I appeal to you in verse 1. Therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
right? The first 11 chapters in Roman, he's telling us who we were apart from Christ. We were sinners lost, verses chapters 1 through 3, and then who we are in Jesus Christ as he saved us by grace, by the result of justifying grace. Now, in chapters 12 to 15, he's teaching us how to live for Christ. Not how to become a Christian, but because you are a Christian. And this is what it looks like. And this is the standard. And you can't change that standard. You can't fudge on that standard. This is the standard. And when we fall short of this standard, we come before him and say, Lord, please forgive me for falling short. And he does. Amen? Praise God. He's patient with us as we're being sanctified. But our desire is to be living for him. So this is so rich, so deep, so instructive. It's just so packed. It's power packed. This is our response to the gospel. So then he says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, first of all, he gives us the foundation for doing all of this, just kind of reminding us that it's not on our own, right? We don't come up with, it's by the mercies of God. It's because you have been saved. It's because you've been brought from darkness to light. It's because you've trusted in Jesus Christ. When he says the mercies of God, he's, that's, that's another way of saying that you've been loved by Christ, you've been saved by Christ, because he lived the life that you could never live because of your sin. He died the death you deserve to die, that all of us deserve to die because of our sin. He substituted himself, put himself in our place, took our sin upon himself, died for the payment of those sins, and then he was raised on the third day. And then by the grace of God, as the gospel is preached to you, and that light goes on, and you say, ah, I see my sin. I see my Savior. I know that I need him. Be assured that that's the work of the power of the Holy Spirit who changes your heart. He grips your heart. He opens your eyes. He grants you the gift of repentance and faith. And with that, we repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Praise God. So we find ourselves... Here, new creations in Christ Jesus by his tender mercies. Now we're able to live in a way that pleases him, that honors him, and that glorifies him. And if you're a Christian this morning, that should be the chief goal. Is that your chief goal? Is that your chief end? The chief end of man is to glorify God and what? Enjoy him forever. Amen? And praise God. Again, not something you can do if you're not a believer. It's not something you can muster up. It's not something that comes on your own. It's not a do-it-yourself. It has to be by the grace and the power of God. Listen, not one single unbeliever, if you have unbelieving family members or friends, not one unbeliever is motivated by their love for God and their commitment to God to live the life that they should, right? You know that. Our friend, every, there's all kinds of different motivations for people doing the things that they do, good and bad. But not one single unbeliever is going to say, I'm doing this to the glory of God. He can't because he doesn't know him the way you know him because he hasn't been revealed. God hasn't been revealed to that person as he's been revealed to you in Christ. So he says, on that, I want you to strive for full commitment and utter dependence. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's what you do. See, our sanctification is not, we don't just sit there and like, ah, hum, and become sanctified. No, no, no. We do something. We're active in our sanctification. Not in our justification. We're passive, right? In our salvation, he changes our heart. But as Christians now, we do something. Don't think that you're just going to become a more obedient Christian, that your life is going to... um change dramatically in that way in terms of your obedience, in terms of your if you just sit there and do nothing, right, by osmosis. No, 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 no. You're active. And one of the things that you need to do is to present yourself to Christ every single day. He says a living 
sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Right? We strive for full commitment and utter dependence upon Christ. No one or nothing is more central to a Christian, to a true Christian, than Jesus Christ. I don't care who that person is. I don't care where that place is. I don't care what that thing is. If you love Jesus Christ, nothing is more central in your life than he is. And you're pleasing him is your is your ultimate goal in the things that you do. You're not doing it for your spouse. You're not doing it for your family. You're doing it because he loves you. Amen? That's what's going on here. Present yourself a living sacrifice. And this is really cool because he is he's borrowing from the Old Testament imagery where a person would bring their sacrifice. And what were you expected to bring? What kind of sacrifice were you expected to bring? The best you had, that's right. The first, the best without defect, unblemished, holy, kind of set apart. Right? A lot of times we offer God what? Pittance. We offer him nothing. And it's not like they would just say, okay, here's a scraggly one. And he's on his way out anyway. I'll just bring this to the temple. That's not how you think. What you were supposed to do was supposed to go and get, okay, this is the best one. This is the healthiest one. This is the one without defect. And I'm going to bring this to God because this is what he deserves. And this shows my love for him, my dependence upon him and his goodness. The qualities, first, best, healthiest, strongest, without defects. In other words, that means full commitment. That's what that means, that you're all in. That sacrificed animal was all in. Its blood was shed before the Lord. So you were to bring yourself. Paul's using that imagery. And he's saying, Christian, bring yourself every single day to Jesus Christ. And you do this with joyful determination because it's not always easy because we're still battling the world of flesh and the devil. So, you know, that's our determination. I'm coming before you, Lord. I know. Here I am. I am at your service. Complete devotion and utter dependence upon him. Do you think like that? Do you? See, I know you want to, and we we seek to if we're truly Christians, but we get distracted so easily. And we start thinking about ourselves and we think about the day. And we don't we don't approach each and every day, each and every moment this way. But this is what he says to do, that we are a living sacrifice, giving ourselves to the Lord. Let your will be done in my life. Let me die to my sinful, selfish desires so that I may live without any other motives other than pleasing you, obeying you, and serving you. Is that your attitude? Is that how it is for us when you think about your relationship to Christ? That's what it should be like. That's what Paul's saying. I'm appealing to you. I'm telling you. This is how you are to come before the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul did. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says this. He's just saying what he's saying here in Romans another way in Galatians I've been crucified with Christ it's no longer I who live my life's completely enveloped in Christ I belong to Jesus 100% not to myself but Christ who lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me amen there it is a motivation in who we are in Christ are you following him in that way are you a living sacrifice are you presenting yourself before him in that manner. It's important that you do that. Don't play games. This isn't a game in Christianity. This is, this is who we are in Christ, and we're to be instruments in this. Be serious about your faith and about your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's great joy in that. There's great depth in that. Jesus says that it's serious. Luke, Luke 9, 23. Jesus said, 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. How many of you deny yourselves? We don't deny ourselves. We, we make excuses, rationalizations, reasons why it's okay to do this, even though we know the scripture says don't do that, right? We do that. We struggle. He says don't do that. You deny yourself for that pleasure. You deny yourself for that sin. Right? If it's contrary to the word of God, don't get me wrong. He's not saying deny yourself of everything, uh, that ascetic lifestyle. But when you're crossing over from righteousness to sin, you're crossing that line. Don't do that. Deny yourself. Say no for the love of Christ. I'm not done. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> and take up your cross and follow me. Notice he says take up your cross daily. That's this idea of a living sacrifice daily. And it wasn't just so many times a year. There were daily sacrifices at the temple. And that's the idea here. Every single day. Don't take a day off. Don't say, oh, I've been obedient. I've been, you know, I'm denying myself. Now I'm just going to give myself a break. No, no, it's not like that in the Christian life. It's every day. Lord, please search out that sin in me, my motives, my thoughts, and take them away from me. And when I do go down that path, please forgive me. Right? That's what it's talking about. That's a living sacrifice for Christ. If following and obeying Jesus Christ costs me relationships, costs me prominence. Are you ready to lose that? Are you ready to lose relationships because of Christ? I mean, you do everything you can to maintain relationships, right? Obviously. But if it comes down to it, and you're standing on the Word of God, and somebody wants you to compromise the Word of God in order to save that relationship, well, if you're going to do that, well, I'm out of your life. What are you going to do at that point? That's what this means. That's utter dependence on the Lord. That's a living sacrifice. If following and obeying Christ means relationships, means prominence, means power, means popularity, means my money, means my life, then I gladly loosen my grips on these things. That's a living sacrifice, right? That's a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice says, in my successes, I thank you, Lord. In my loss, I trust you, Lord. In my pain, I look to you, Lord. That's a living sacrifice. Are you all in? See, this is very, very personal right now. Next time, it's going to be more corporate, but now it's personal. Ask yourself, are you all in? What part of you have you kept for yourself? What little sin do you have over there that you're just, that you just can't let, let go of? And you say, I'm yours, Lord, except for this bitterness. I just, I just have to hold on to this because I can't let it go. I'm yours, Lord, but but I'm just going to hold on to my pride because I can't be humbled in that way because I'll look bad and people are going to say, what are you holding on to? See, you're not a living sacrifice when you're holding on to anything that's antithetical or opposed to Scripture. I'll be yours, Lord, once this or that happens. You know how many people do that? Once I'm okay over here, Lord, then I'll give myself fully to you and I'll devote myself to you and I won't do that anymore. Don't do that. Don't think like that. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 9, please. Luke 9. Because if you think like that, not only are you not a living sacrifice to the Lord, you might not even be in the Lord Jesus Christ. You might be playing games with him. And that just gets you cuts on the line, in the line on the way to hell. That's all that does. So, look at Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. It really plays into what Paul's talking about here in this section of Romans. Luke 9, and this, you know this, it's the cost of following Jesus Christ. I will give myself to you, but first, type of thing. 
Verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, look, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Wow. See, that means, are you willing to sacrifice everything? Are you willing to give it up for the cause of Jesus Christ? And I mean that. Are you? Have you thought through those implications? As you're following Jesus Christ, it might cost you all like our amenities, everything that we are comfortable with. Can you do without your car? Can you do without your home? Can you do without these things that we just take for granted every day? See, a lot of people are going to say, no, I love you, Jesus, but not that much. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to do that if it's going to cost me this. You understand? That's what Jesus is saying here. He's not trying to be mean. He's just saying, this is the deal. If you're going to follow me, I'm going to have priority in your life. And it may look like this. He's not going to ask us to get rid of our house, but it might come down to that place where, because of the situation, because of our obedience to him, are you ready? Are you willing to follow Christ in that way? Then he goes on, and he says, to another said to him, follow me, he said. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Well, that sounds very, what? Jesus won't even let him go bury his father? That's not what that means. See, this is about following Christ. The, the, commitment to Christ, the priority of following Christ. When they said, go bury my father, that most of the time was a reference to a son, the oldest son, whose father wasn't dead yet, but he had to stay with the dad, take care of the dad in order to get the inheritance. Right? That's what would happen. So he's, let me go bury my dad first. Let me go wait till my dad dies. I bury him, get the inheritance, then I follow you. Jesus said, no, 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 no. You need to be ready to follow me now. Right? Let the dead bury their own dead in that way. If you're a believer, you're going to follow me. I have priority in your life. And then the last one, he goes on and says this. Yet another said to him, I'll follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those in my home. I can't even say bye to my people. He's not saying that you don't have a relationship with your family members. He's saying that he has to be the most important person in your life, more important than your father and your mother, more important than your family members. Remember when Jesus called his disciples? What did Peter and Andrew do? Do you remember? Say it. They left their nets and immediately followed him. What did Matthew do when he was collecting the taxes? He left his stand and he followed Christ. What did James and John do? They left their nets and they left their father immediately to follow Christ. That's the level of commitment. That's what we're talking about here. That's what we're trying to, to impress upon you. That's what Paul's saying. That's a living sacrifice in that way. How committed, how dependent are you really, truly on Jesus Christ? He says, you are a living sacrifice. Every day come to the Lord. I want to die to myself in order to live for you, to be used by you as you see fit. Do you have that spirit and attitude? No. If not, you're playing. You're playing. Number two, he goes on and says this. I appeal to you, brothers, By the mercy of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then the negative, do not be conformed to this world. Let's stop right there. Do not be conformed to this world. The gospel, the change of heart provides a distinctiveness. Do you know that you're distinct? Truly. Not like an odd, unique, you know, weirdo person. No, you, you're distinct because you've been set apart by God. You're distinct because there's a difference because of who we are in Jesus Christ, right? You should have new priorities. We have a new world. All these things are new. So he's saying, and he's warning us, because this is a big temptation, don't be molded by the world, but by the word. 
right? That's what shapes and molds us, is the word of God. And it's really interesting because the word that he uses for world here is not cosmos, which is a generic word for the world, but he uses ion, which means age. Don't be caught up in the, in the times, the signs of the times. Don't be caught up in the things of this age that are happening right now, all those allurements. Listen, man, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're actually a citizen of another kingdom. You can't be too attached to this world. Our eyes have to be on Christ because that's where we're going to end up with Christ. Right? So don't love this world so much. You're not a citizen here. You shouldn't feel too, too comfortable. I'm not saying, listen, obviously, as scripture says, we are to be in the world as Christians, salt and light living, but not of the world, just like everybody else. But that's the tendency. That's the flow, and it's happening all over the place. But man, you're, you're, you're a citizen of Philippians 3.20. Paul says this. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our hope. Our hope doesn't end with this life. We have the sure hope of eternity. Think on that. Have your mind set on that. We're sojourners, man. We're passing through. We're ambassadors. Our permanent residence is somewhere else. Do you believe that or don't you? And how do you live in in light of that fact? It doesn't mean we can't enjoy the, the things of this world. Don't get me wrong. You know what I'm trying to say here. Again, we're not aesthetics. We're not going to go live in the desert and just, you know, I'm not saying that at all. But don't count on the things of this world for your acceptance, for your joy, for your purpose, for your meaning. Don't do that. Right? That's what he's saying here. While we are here in this world, we live according to his standards. In other words, this is a big deal. We don't compromise. And many churches are compromised. We don't capitulate to the world, and we don't cave in. It's kind of the same thing, but it worked. James 4.4 says this. You adulterous people. He's calling Christians. He's like, what are you guys doing? Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Again, it's not being part of this world, living in it, doing things, having fun. It's not that. It's when that becomes the priority, especially when it transgresses what the Word teaches, how we ought to live as Christians, what we ought to expect, who, who we're called to be. And of course, 1 John 2, 15 and 17, don't love the world. And they write these things, and Paul says these things, John writes these things, because we know that the temptation's there to do just that. If there wasn't a temptation to love the world, then they wouldn't even have to say anything. But we know, they know that this is a struggle for us. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, what are they? The desires of the flesh? Again, things that transgress the word of God. Um, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing along, passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Again, there's eternity. That's the hope that we have in Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. Take this to heart, man. Please. You're changed inside. Let that be manifested outwardly through the way you live your life. Don't, please do that. So, so as we think about our current example, think about our current, an example of this is think about our current education system. Really, seriously, as Christians, when we think about the world, are are we caving, are we capitulating, are we compromising with the world when we send our kids in this age, at this time, to a public school? You have to ask yourself that question. You really do. You really do. Why? Because of what's being taught there. They're not just being taught 
hardly being taught what they need to be taught, reading, writing, arithmetic. They're being indoctrinated in a lot of different areas that are very dangerous, including LGBTQ, including CRT, critical race theory. These things are for real, and they're happening. So you know what I mean? That's what he's talking about. Are we going to give into the world? Are we going to do that? Are we going to say, wait a minute, as Christians, no. No matter how used to it we are, no matter, now it might be pretty good over there, no matter you know what the rest of the world's doing, we have to say no at that point. You have to re- really wrestle with that. We don't simply accept the morals, values, and standards of a world that stands in opposition to God, that's antithetical to God's word. You have to realize that. Don't just trust everything. Don't just trust what everybody says. Measure it by the word of God. And that goes for everybody, right? Worldly is this. Worldliness is this. It's tacitly, or being conformed to the world, is tacitly accepting or adopting or fully embracing the ever-changing values, precepts, and practices of this world, a world that doesn't look to God. See, the world's not looking to God for the standards. I say, okay, God, what do you want us to do? And we're going to do, that's not what they do. <laughs> you know, they might borrow, they have to here and there, but they're not committed to the Lord. So that's where we have to say, okay, what's going on? But you see, it, it could really break you down because it's very intrusive, it's very insistent, and in many ways it's very alluring and appealing, isn't it? And it's the easy thing to do a lot of times. So you see this happening in, in Christian circles even. So, so when it talks about the world, it says, don't, don't, don't be conformed to this world, Christian. You can't say love is love. If you say love is love as a Christian, then you're not, according to Scripture, because God defines love. He gives us the parameters of love. He tells us what love is. He def- he, love is what God says it is, not just what people think it is. So a Christian can't say that. Sex before marriage is fine. Come on, everybody does it. Everybody does it. You're a Christian? No. We know the sanctity of marriage. We know the sanctity of the, of the, of the, of the wedding bed. See, but that conflicts with the world. And when I said that, you, you guys are probably just like, especially if you're a little bit longer, you're like, what is that dude talking about? <laughs> Sex before marriage. That's world. We're being conformed to this world. Easy divorce. Didn't work out. Things just didn't work out. You know, oh, I just got tired. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be, so I'm out of here. That comes into the Christian world too, right? That's worldliness. That's what he said. Don't be conformed to the world in these ways. Measuring success through wealth, possession, and pleasures. Wow, man, I made this, you know, $100,000 last year, and I have a boat and a yacht. That's, I'm successful. What? starving for the approval and acceptance of the world. I can't stand when people say, oh, hey, man, we're cool Christians. We get it. We get it. Don't be like that. We're not cool. We're nerds. We're, we're following the Lord. Don't, don't try to be. Just be who we are in Christ. Be loving and caring, but don't try to be accepted by the world. can't stand it. You see so many of these celebrity Christians. Yeah, we're just like you, just a little different. No, we're distinct. Justin Bieber. <laughs> Does he still say he's a Christian? <laughs> I don't even know. C.S. Lewis says this, worldliness is the desire for respectability. I like that. You're desiring to be respected, you know, have that respectability. If you're a Christian and you're living faithfully, trust me, the world's not going to respect you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how successful you were in business. One good actor, is everybody here, Kurt Cameron, 
He was an actor, and he was good. But he really left that all behind, and Hollywood has really rejected him because he's really committed to his faith. He's one good example of that. So you're not going to be respect. If you're looking for respect from the world, uh, that's worldliness because you're not going to get it if you're being faithful to Christ necessarily. I would also add acceptance because when you want respectability and acceptance from the world, I'm a Christian, but I'm cool too. You know, I'm relatable to you. That opens the door to compromise. It opens the door, doesn't it? To capitulate, to 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 getting caught up in this world. So Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. He says, do not be conformed to this world. In fact, we should never feel completely comfortable. We should never really fit in. Do you guys fit in? Do you feel like you fit in? How about with your families? There are unbelieving family members. You're sitting around the table. Even some of the conversations that they have, we're just like, uh, you know, or how serious they are about certain things, entertainment-wise or sports-wise, you know. It's just like, man, we don't, I don't fit in here. And, you know, and you know you don't fit in if they use a cuss word. They say, oh, sorry, you know, in front of you. That's, well, okay, you know, that we, we don't fit in. We shouldn't feel completely, if you feel completely comfortable in this world, then come and talk to me after this message. If you call yourself a Christian. Our thoughts should be above. Again, Colossians 3.2 says this. Set your minds on things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. 2 Corinthians 4.18, as we look to the things that are that are seen, I'm sorry, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's where our gaze should be fixed. How about you? Again, are you conformed to this world? Do you love it? Let me ask you a few questions because this will this will might help answer the question if you're conformed to this world. If you're conformed to this world, you need to repent, ask God to forgive you, and then conform your mind to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, if you call yourself a Christian, how important is it for you to be highly thought of? Really? Accepted and not rejected. How far are you willing to go in order to be accepted? Are you one who couldn't imagine living without the amenities of life, the entertainment that the world provides, those kinds of things. Is dying the worst thing that you could imagine ever happening to you? Now, remember what the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is... Okay, so think about that when you're answering that question. If 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 you say, yeah, yeah well, it is so important to be accepted. You know, so I, I, I'm tempted, I don't want people to even know I'm a, that's a problem. You know, if I, if I can't imagine not having the things that I have or striving to get the things that I want, then that's a problem a little bit. If, if, if the worst thing that can happen to me is dying, you know, I'm just so afraid. No, as a Christian, that's a problem. That's a problem. Okay. Don't be conformed to this world. It leads to the, no, this leads to the final expectation. Here's the positive. Listen to what he says. Don't be conformed to this world, but instead of that, instead of being conformed to this world, you are to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And we're going to end here this morning with this. Um, be transformed. Again, these are commands. You are transformed. Into, the, the idea here, it's kind of like our sanctification is kind of catching up with our regeneration. This is who we are in Christ, and now we need to manifest that in our lives. That's that's kind of the idea here. This is how we 
know so that we can grow. That's it. You need to know so you can grow in Christ, like I said earlier. Here's what happens when this when this takes place, when you're being renewed in your mind. You start thinking and you start processing everything in, into biblical categories. Does that make sense? Listen, so you say, you might say, my, and we live in this day where feelings are everything. So people say, well, my feelings tell me this is so right. It just feels so, so right. I don't know how it could be wrong. Oh, yeah, God's word says that it's wrong. God's word teaches that it's wrong. So so what are you going to do at that point? See, if your mind is being renewed, you're going to understand that I can't count on my feelings in these areas. Not just what I feel is best if it's contrary to the word of God. I mean, feelings have their place. Obviously, emotions, uh, those kinds of emotions are wonderful, but they can't contradict the word of God. Do you understand? So people say that all the time, yeah, I know what God's word says, but I just feel it so much. I feel so deeply this love. I feel so deeply that I need to be there. I feel, I feel, I feel. But what does God's word say? That's the objective truth. We learn to trust objective truth over subjective feelings when we're being conformed to the word of God. Our whole worldview changes, doesn't it? Our worldview informs us. We're biblically informed. We're fully in line with the word. That's what it means to be to renovate the mind. What does God's word say? Not what the world says, not what my feelings say, not what Satan's tempting me to think. What does God's word say? And you need to know God's word. Right? So as a Christian, we're not confused about creation, are we? We shouldn't be. Uh, yeah, he got it all started, and then evolution took over. No, 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 it's not what the word says. We know what the word teaches about creation, that God created all things. Okay? We know about the nature of man. What do most people think about man? The nature of man. Oh, man, we're pretty good. People deep down, they're good, you know. They're just messed up by their environment and stuff. What does the Bible teach about man? No, 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 no. No one's good, not even one. The heart is more deceitful and also desperately wicked. Who can understand it? See? See, we have, we're informed by That's a knowledge. We're being renewed in our minds. The nature of God. Who is God? What's he like? When life begins. So we could say on the abortion line, we know when life begins. God said, I created you in the womb. At that moment of fertilization, that we have the confidence of the word of God. Not only backed up by science, amen, praise God, that's cool, but we have the word of God. We knew it all along, right? What happens when we die? Go ahead, ask your friends. What happens when you die? If they don't believe in God. Well, I think... I think we just go to this great, you know, nobody's going to say, I, well, some people might say I'm going to hell, but they do it in a kind of a, I don't know, like a cocky, oh, I'm going to hell, man, all my friends will be, there. but people usually seriously, they just kind of, I don't know, I think we just all, you know, turn into nothing, nothingness, or we come back as this. I do believe you'll get all kinds of different answers for that, but we know what happens when you die. It's appointed a man wants to die, then the judgment. You're in heaven or you're in hell. That's it. We know what word teaches. It's a lot different than what man, apart from God's word, believes, right? It forms how we think and then subsequently how we act. That's why it's so important for you to be in the word, to be trained in the word, being renewed, the means of grace, the word, sacrament, prayer, fellowship, everything the Lord's given to us. That's how we grow. That's how we learn. That's how we discern. That's how we're encouraged in all these ways. Paul is saying these very things. That's how we're going to know the will of God, what's good and acceptable. How do you think you're going to know? By osmosis? I'm a Christian, so I know everything. No, you don't know anything until you're in the Word, and we learn and we grow. That's how we know. 
As you gain knowledge, understanding, you will come into greater conformity to God's word, a deeper obedience, a much, much deeper love for God as you get to know him. You really want to live for him. You'll be much more um, thoughtful in your repentance of God. You're going to see your sin even as a Christian and, and come to the Lord in that way. You'll be a more effective instrument in the hands of your Redeemer. That's what Paul's saying here. So you thought this would be easy now that we're done with chapter 11. Now it's hard because now here's what you have to do. The personal implications of the gospel is living completely and utterly for Jesus Christ. Are you doing that this morning? Are you giving it all to the Lord? Are you keeping something for yourself? Number two, that you're not enamored with this world. How much do you love this world? Oh, I can't wait to go home and watch the game. No, I'll probably watch the game this afternoon, but, you know, it's whatever, right? <laughs> I'll be a little mad if they lose, but it's not like, I got to get out of here to see that game, and you know, or my show's on tonight, and I can't miss this. I got to have that. Watch it. Even those little things say a lot. Not being enamored by this world. I'm, again, don't get me wrong. I'm not being legalistic. You can watch your shows. Don't get me. Don't feel like, oh, he's being like, oh, I can't do it. I'm not saying that. But how much do they mean to you? How much does it mean to have these things? Continuing to learn and grow, to live in a manner consistent with our calling. That's what we're called to do. This is really challenging for us if you're a Christian this morning. But it's a challenge we should embrace, man. I want to be more like this. Don't you want to be like this? Don't you want to say, Lord, I have all of me, everything. I want you to have all of me. Every thought, every word, every deed is for you. That's what I want as a Christian, right? I don't want to live in this world. I don't want to be conformed to this world. I don't want to be like everybody else who doesn't know where they're going or what's happening in their lives. I don't want that. I want Christ. I want to be distinct. And I want his word. I want to know more about him. I desire to learn and to grow so that I could be more faithful, so I have more understanding, so I could be a better instrument in the hands of the Redeemer. That's all he's asking. If you're a Christian, you should love this. Challenged, yes, but absolutely love this. Okay, next week, we talked about personal today. Next week, we'll look at the Corporate level, not only the obligations that the Lord's talking about here, now the obligations we have towards one another. You think this was hard? You wait till next time.